BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's up, family? Thank you for tuning in to the Dream Nation podcast. My name is Casanova. I'll be your host, and I'm excited to be bringing to you entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and trailblazers from around the world. Stay locked in with us because we're about to go on a journey that will change your life. What's up, Dream Nation? We are back again with an episode that I'm excited to learn about how exactly I can get my mindset right when it comes to the financials. We often talk about tactical tips and strategies for starting a business, but there's so much more that goes into it and specifically on the financial part. And we have two of the biggest experts in the game that is going to be sharing their wisdom and their knowledge with us on how exactly we can do just that. So without further ado, help me in welcoming Talent and Ty to the show, formerly known as His and Her Money. Welcome to the show. You want to go ahead and say what's up to Dream Nation. Hello, hello. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much for inviting us on your platform. We're excited to be here, Casanova. What's up, Dream Nation? Man, this is going to be a really dope episode. So I always like to think of us as entrepreneurs and, and really superheroes. And why is it because we're constantly flying around the world, we're putting on our cape, and we're trying to solve problems in the world to make it a better place. So before you all have been featured in the world's biggest publications like Black Enterprise and an entrepreneur and everything else, before you had your major show and your YouTube channel, if we can take it back to when you were just young kids and I know you're both going to have a different a different story but tell me who is Talit and who is Ty wow great question so for me um born on the south side of Chicago raised there love love the city I was raised in a in a two-parent home with both parents cheering me on telling me that there's nothing that I can't be and I had uh, a great upbringing. Like I I don't have anything like to complain about. The thing for me was when I left home, I left at 17, graduated high school, went straight into the military. I I made a bunch of financial mistakes, which is really the crust of the work that we do to this very day was what I went out and did because growing up, I wasn't like directly taught about money. I didn't get like 
personal financial principles from my parents. I saw things, but like sit down one-on-one conversations, like do X, Y, and Z. I didn't get that. And so I was kind of left to my own interpretation. So my parents were very thrifty. We'll, we'll say thrifty. Okay. That's a very politically correct way to say cheap, but they were very wise. I can say that as an adult now with their money, but the 16 year old version of me didn't think that because my friends were getting all the brand new Jordans and I was getting all the brand new pro wings. And for those in dream nation who are unfamiliar with what a pro wing is, first of all, you're blessed, but to help you explain it, it's the pay less version, pay less shoe store version of the Jordans. And so the jump man wasn't quite jumping the same way. So they look close, but not quite. And so when I left home, I said, man, I'm going to use my money to buy everything name brand. There's not going to be anything in my closet that's not name brand. And I went out and I created a financial mess for myself, chasing what I thought was what I wanted. And I ended up in over $30,000 of debt with nothing good to show for it, nothing to do with college, I had nothing to do with real estate. It was just stuff. Everything in my life was financed from my car to the sound system in my car to the furniture in my apartment. I had payday loans. I had loans to pay off the payday loans. Every bad type of financial decision that could be made, I made it. And uh, our story is one of recovery from that. Mm-hmm. And so it just goes to show you that it's important um, for those Dream Nation people out there to have kids, talk to them. Don't just assume that they're going to Get it by osmosis because what's happening is even though you might be doing good things with your money, if you don't, if you're not deliberate and intentional with the lessons you want to pass to the next generation, they're going to be left to their own interpretation. Yeah. And so I come from a family of five siblings. So we were a seven person household. Both of my parents also married and I grew up in a household where they were extremely frugal as well. But I just assumed that they were because it was so many kids. And I am also an identical twin. So I just thought, hey, they were just trying to make the money stretch. And so my parents did not necessarily sit us down and talk about money and finances. However, their actions spoke louder than words. So I just assumed everyone lived this way. I assumed everybody shopped at thrift stores and you know, everybody, you know, paid their way through college and things like that, because that's what I did. I actually put myself through college completely debt free without any debt. Also purchased a vehicle at the age of 17. Women were coming home like, mom and dad, come look at my vehicle. And they're like, wait, you didn't need a co-signer? And I said, no. And I paid that off in like 13 months. And so I thought that I was going to just live an entire life full of debt freedom, building wealth. And I thought the man that I was going to marry was going to be the same way. And about three months prior to getting married, I found out that my husband actually lied to me about how much debt he was in. Now, keep in mind, this was after premarital counseling. This was after pulling credit reports. This was after doing my due diligence. And so I was devastated, needless to say. And it was not because of the debt, because we overcame it. It was the trust. And Mm -hmm. so he and I both had to start our first year in marriage, rebuilding trust. How are we going to talk about money? What are we going to do with our finances? Are we going to join our finances? How soon do you want to get out of debt? Come up with the game plan. And we did just that. Wow. Well, first, I want to say I appreciate for you sharing, you know, that because I think that that's where a lot of marriages and I'll let you speak to this a little bit more, but that's where a lot of marriages go bad is because of the financial aspect of it. And when you grow up in uh, a society where it does teach about the materialistic things and you have those maybe insecurities that you're trying to overcompensate for, we all do it. And then all of a sudden to have your, so let me ask you this, I guess a better question. When you were in all of that debt and you were buying things, you were already still in a relationship with Ty? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, We were, we were in two different places. Two different states. I was in the military in Texas. She was in college in Chicago. 
Got it. And the reason why I asked that is because I wanted to see if the picture was being painted that you felt like you needed to impress her. Right. Whereas, or was it like, no, you just did it because you were trying to compensate for something. But if you had to let her know that you were doing those things, you would have been in trouble. So you just hid it. No, it was just me being yeah, young. You didn't have to impress me. It was just me being young and being not having any wisdom, having money of my own for the first time, being able to do what I wanted to do for the first time without anybody telling me that I couldn't do it for the first time. And I just enjoyed it. I enjoyed clothes. I enjoyed music. I enjoyed my car with the sound system. And, you know, I was just young with money and didn't have anybody help guiding me to do the right things with it. Tied. Our first date in 1998, I pulled up Casanova in a 1984 Pontiac Sunbird. And she'd been riding with me ever since. So it was never a money thing for her. It was just, she saw me for me. So the money problems that I created was self-made. It had nothing to do with her. It was just me liking to have stuff. Right. No, and, and I... And I respect so much that you stayed with him in that, because if that was always your mindset that I was going to live debt free, you know, and then all of a sudden you find out they basically you're marrying into $30,000 in debt. That's hard for a lot of people. Talk to me about how did you come through to say, you know what, I am going to stick this out rather than saying, hey, this seems like more of a liability if this is how we're starting off building our foundation rather than an asset. Yeah, again, it was not about the money as much as it was about the trust. Right. And so at that time, I think I was a little naive as well. I just thought that, hey, if you're honest, you're committed to a relationship and you're being truthful that, you know, your significant other or soon to be was the same way. But then it caused me also to look at some character issues in myself. What was it about myself that did not allow my husband to be to actually approach me and tell me about his finances? And so I started to do some uh, soul searching within myself as well. A lot of prayer but a lot of, I was able to step back, observe, hmm, what was he doing prior to him coming clean? Um, what was he doing? And I saw him, he picked up another job. I saw that he wasn't, you know, we didn't go out as much. He was actually trying to pay off the debt. So I already knew at that point that his mindset had shifted and I knew that I could work with it. I could forgive him, which I did. And I never threw it back up in his face after that. I never did once um, say, well, you got us in this position. It was once we got married, we just celebrated our 14th year of marriage, by the way. Congratulations. Uh, but once we got married, thank you. Once we got married, it was he and I. It was no longer just his debt. It was now our debt. And so that's how we approached it. Where was the knowledge that you originally got in the beginning? Because you said at a very young age, you were able to really even take it to a level that your parents never took it to with buying your car, not needing a co-signer, getting it paid off within 13 months. Where did you get that knowledge from if your parents weren't even doing it at the level that you were? Was there a book? Was there a seminar? Was there something, a person that you found that helped to educate you early? No, not at that age. It was more so my parents' actions spoke louder than words. And that's why we talk to parents right now. We tell parents, you can't tell your children one thing, but do another. And so although you may not be verbally expressing you know, things around money, your children are watching you. Are they watching you every payday, every Friday? Um, you know, you're going out, you're buying this or that, or are they watching you save money? Are they watching you buy stocks? Are they watching you, you know, invest in mutual funds? Are they watching you start a business? And so for me, I just saw my parents extremely diligent around their finances. I saw them having conversations amongst themselves. I saw them telling us, no, you can't have that now. 
I saw them not necessarily splurging on us. We got what we needed when we needed it. And so nowadays I just see where children are almost in this expectation mode where they expect you to do this for them. They expect the new gym shoes every time they come out. They expect a new toy every month. They expect a, a new video game once it's released. And so growing up, my parents did not give us those expectations. So we didn't expect it. We, I actually expected the opposite. And it was also detrimental in a sense where it also worked against um, them in a sense when I graduated from eighth grade. My twin sister and I did not go on our eighth grade trip. And after we graduated, my mom was like, hey, I didn't even know that there was an eighth grade trip or you guys didn't express interest in it. How come you did not express interest in going on your eighth grade trip? And it was, mom, we just thought you were going to say no. Right. Is what we said. We just assumed you were going to say no. It was going to cost too much money. It was two of us. And she says, no, I would have let you all go. And so I now have taken that into our relationship. We're raising three children. And I'm being very, very conscious about verbally telling them, when dad and I say no, it does not mean all of the time. And we also show them instances where it's yes. They don't have to wait till Christmas just to get toys. They don't have to wait till their birthday just to get toys. We do things for them throughout the year, but we also do it in moderation. So I think that's the key. Just trying to find a balance for your family where, where you're not necessarily overcompensating, you know, what you did not have growing up, but you want to make sure that you are having the conversation. So we're having the conversations with our kids where my parents and their actions spoke loud in the words. Our kids see our actions, but they also hear our voices. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I think that's a very good point. And one thing that my wife and I, because obviously kids just ask to the point of no return, right? Especially the younger that they are. I mean, they're so diligent, so resilient and asking. And one thing that I, I strive to my, or I stress to my wife first, but then we made sure that now we always said to my son is like, never stop asking. Because as a kid, that yes. can be when you always hear no, just like you said, it was it can almost become a detriment. And then when they get older, we know that closed mouths don't get fed. And if you don't ask, the answers always no, especially oh, in the world where you're thinking about starting your own business, you're trying to get your brand out there, whatever, you have to be willing to ask and you can't let those fears overcome you. So we always tell my son, just to your point of like, you're not going to get this from me, but never stop asking. And so he gets that point, And I've explained that context around like you always got to be willing to ask because if you don't, the answer is always no. And so I think that that's that's great. And especially to hear that from a black couple. Right. Because for me, I grew up a little bit different than my parents never talked about money. And I think that that's a pretty big thing in the, the African-American community. The black community is kind of like staying own business like why are you in my business and you never want to talk money you never want to talk finances whether it's credit cards or whatever because there's so much pride and so that's when I said that I respected you because in the beginning you even talked about these payday loans right and that's something that obviously we know with check in advance and all these other places they're deep into the black community or yes. the poverty stricken communities and so talk to me about what is the the way that people can start to open up those conversations where you don't necessarily feel like you're an expert when it comes to finances, but you still want to tell your children and have those conversations, you know, because it's a, it's a little bit of like, I don't really feel like I know. So how can I have those conversations with my kids? Yeah. Just like that. You're honest and authentic. Mm -hmm. Like mom and dad, you know, we have some dreams, we have some goals but we're also in this position and we are now dedicated to changing the narrative. We want to give you guys the tools that we weren't given. Mommy and daddy, we showed up into adulthood and we were forced to figure it out. And we want to give you a head start. But listen, 
right now, some things are about to change um, because of where we're trying to take our family. And look, mom and dad don't have it all figured out, but we're about to go on a journey to learn. Mm -hmm. We are going to figure it out and we're going to pass on our victories. We're going to pass on the things that we got wrong. You know, this this conversation is dependent upon age of children. So you make it an age-based conversation, but don't try to act like you got it all figured out. Just be honest and authentic. And they'll learn from both sides of the coin, the things that you got right and the things that you got wrong. Because if you don't talk about it, they're going to recycle the things that went wrong because you made it look like it was okay and that everything was Mm -hmm. all right. And that's Mm -hmm. why poverty becomes generational because that's what they see. And if that's all they see, it becomes normalized. And if it becomes normalized, it now becomes a part of their life. Well, mm-hmm. this is the way it was. I was my, my parents, my grandparents was on government assistance. And just when you turn a certain age, you're supposed to go get your card as well. You're supposed to get your government assistance as well because nobody ever said anything different. Yeah, children mm-hmm. can appreciate imperfection, but mm-hmm. they can also appreciate order. And so your children are not looking for you to have this all figured out. They're not looking for you to be superstars, but they are looking for structure. Children love structure. And I know that a lot of times our society, they kind of say, oh, kids are just all over the place. They're creative. They're bouncing off the wall, but they love discipline, but they're not looking for you to be perfect. They're just looking for the discipline, the order, and they're willing to actually walk it out with you. I love it. Now, do you feel if somebody right now is listening to this and they're saying, okay, that all works, but I got a hundred thousand dollars in debt and that's not including my student loans. I got credit cards, everything else. Like, do you recommend that they find a way to invest first or do they find a way to get out of debt first? Cause that's a big question that a lot of people always mm-hmm. have. Should I be saving or should I be investing to create money to pay off the debt? Yeah, we believe in a hybrid approach. We would never tell you just to pause everything and get out of debt. We do want you to have a majority of your focus towards your debt, but we also want you to look at ways where you can invest. And sometimes it's as easy as maybe your employer doesn't match. Maybe they're matching up to 5% or 7%. You need to be doing at least up to the match. We're also big components of starting a business, but we don't believe that you should go into debt when starting a business. When we started His and Her Money, we started with a $500 seed. We invest in ourselves and said, okay, we're going to start this with $500. That meant getting a website done. That meant buying a domain. That meant, what else did we do at the time? We already had a camera, so we didn't have to pay for that. Yeah, Yeah, logo, right, a logo. And that just meant hitting start. And so a lot of times when we look at business, we think that we have to spend so much money up front. Mm -hmm. Oh, I need $2,000 or $3,000. No, you don't. But we do want you to look at the creative side. We believe that God has given everyone a gift and everyone has a talent of some sort that can be a blessing or used as a ministry for others, another way to serve. And so while getting out of debt, we will tell you, look at how can you start a business? For us, we did a million gazillion side hustles before we really figured out the one thing. Um, We also never stopped investing. So no, we don't believe that just because you have $100,000 of debt, you need to hit pause on all of your dreams and aspirations. But we do think that you um, should have a plan, a debt plan in place and work that plan. Yeah, and I think it's somewhat of a false narrative. Should I get out of debt or should I invest if I want to build wealth? You're building wealth in both directions. Every dollar of debt that you pay off is an increase to your net worth. Absolutely. Mm. Just like investing and getting a return on every, it's a dollar for dollar investment Mm -hmm. when you're paying off debt. So they should both be a part of the game plan because you can invest, you can buy real estate. It doesn't mean that you'll see that ROI wide array, Mm -hmm. right? You might have some three, four, five months of rehab going on before you can get a renter in there. But that $1 that you just paid on your credit mm-hmm. card made your net worth go up. Sure did. 
instantly, right? So it's right. a both and. It's not an either or. There you go. I love it. I love it. Now, for someone who is thinking about starting a business, I know that you all have been pioneers in the blog world. Do you feel, because a lot of people, they feel like they have a story to share. They have a problem that they want to solve, but they don't necessarily know the medium that they should be using. Do you feel like people still should be starting blogs in today's world where there's, Mm -hmm. I want to say the last thing I read was like over 600 million active Mm -hmm. blogs. Or do you feel like there's maybe a better medium if you were starting all over today that you would look at? So this is how I would answer the question. You may not, you don't necessarily have to be a blogger, but you should have an online presence. If this pandemic has not taught us anything, it has taught all of the corporations, all the mom and pop businesses that they not only need to have a brick and border, but the main important thing is to have an online presence. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of companies and businesses that have failed because they did not have an online presence. So a lot of times I think when people hear the word blogger, they think, oh gosh, I'm not good at writing. I got to write a blog posts. No, we don't even really write a lot of blog posts. Majority of our online presence is video and podcast. And so no, you don't necessarily have to have a blog, but you should have some type of online presence because you can reach so many people you know, farther by being online than you can by them, you know, coming in your neighborhood, ringing a doorbell or whatnot, or coming into an ex- an actual establishment. So yeah, I would say online for sure is the way to go. Yeah, the world's not going to get less digital. No, right. <laughs> like we're only going to become more digitized yeah. as a society. What has happened here in our world is going to force technology to be an even more greater part yep. of our world. So if you're sitting there, trying to establish yourself as an authority or as an entrepreneur and you're not investing in creating an online presence, Mm -hmm. then you're doing only yourself a disservice. So I don't care if you can write or not. I don't care if you can, you you know what your strengths are. If your strength is uh, audio, if your strength is video, if your strength is written, you need to take your strength, but then have it created in other fashions. And so you can take a video that you did on YouTube and have it create uh, somebody create an article based on the words that you said. Maybe you're not a writer, but somebody can take the words that you said and organize it in a fashion to put it on your online presence as a written um, article. Because um, my wife's background is in finance and my background is in education. And one thing that I know from being an educator is that everybody learns differently. Mm -hmm. We don't all learn from reading We don't all learn orally. We don't all learn visually, but some do in each category. And so you want to give your content the best shot to reach people in the way that they learn. One of the failures of the education system is that we only teach one way. We are lecture based. We are top down in our approach. And that only reaches some learners. And so if your goal is to help somebody through the service, the product that you offer, then you it is your duty to bring it to them in a way that they can receive it because communication is a two way street. It's not just a sender, but there's a receiver. And so we would encourage you to definitely have an online presence, play to your strengths and outsource your weaknesses. And let me say this, when we say online presence, we mean on your own real estate. So there are a lot of people that are building businesses and brands on Instagram, very successful. On Zuckerberg's real estate. On Facebook, (laughs) on Etsy, even on YouTube. But the truth of the matter is they can literally shut down your business with a click of a button. Someone can say that you're infringing on their idea. All they have to do is hit a button and Facebook can change the algorithm and it's over. Change the algorithm and it's done. So you need to have an online presence where you own the real estate. So for an example, I have a sister that is extremely successful in crafting. She's making very good money on Etsy. I think she just hit her, oh, how many orders? 
I don't know, I think her 7,000 order maybe on Etsy mm. where she does crafts. And she recently over the past year said, you know what, I need my own online presence. So now she started her website. She didn't shut down her Etsy store, but she's now funneling new customers. Hey, come to my website when you want to put in that order. Number one, that's going to be less fees because you're not giving fees to a third party site. And number two, it's going to be higher retention and name recognition. A lot of times when people think of Etsy, they, they don't necessarily think about your business name. They think of Etsy in a world of 5 million stores. Right. But if you get them used to verbally say, hey, go to hisandhermoney.com for your needs, then that's name recognition. You understand what I'm saying? So build your real estate on your, you own it. Think, think like a boss, think like an owner and don't build your brand or your real estate on somebody else's land. It should be supplemental. Yep. I love it. And that's right there, a whole truth, because so many people, they do, they look at Facebook and that's the, initially where they start to invest at. But your email list, which is an asset that you would huge. own, right? That's so huge. And, and I was one who made that mistake, like me having an online business now, what, four and a half years, it took me two and a half years before I really understood the power of owning your own real estate. Yes. And that's crazy because I'm in the actual real estate world in the offline market. And I'm always talking about ownership, but it was, it was that one time that somebody said, listen, you don't own this, you know, Facebook could shut you down. And so I'm glad that you all brought that up. And they've up. done it. And they have done it. We know people personally, and it's hard trying to show them, no, I really am the owner of this. Like it's, it can be a headache. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think even more than that, even if they don't shut you down, they control the algorithm of who sees your product, your name, your service. Right. And that's tough as well, because if you were expecting certain amount of traffic coming in, but all of a sudden you switch up something where you don't do as many videos or whatever. And if, if you're not getting that engagement, Facebook, LinkedIn, all those sites, they'll just, they'll limit it. And now you're stuck trying to figure out how you can create that. But if you, the best organic reach that you're going to have is through your email list yep. because everybody's going to get it. Now, if it goes to their spam or whatever else, that's a whole different story, but at least they get it. It's in their inbox. You don't yeah, have to worry know. about yes. you- Hey, what's up, Dream Builder? Have you been getting any value out of this episode? Would you like to get more exclusive content just like this delivered right to your inbox? If so, head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com and you can sign up for the email list and that will give you access to exclusive content and more interviews just like this that's going to be delivered only to our tribe. So head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com. Let's get back to it. Something that I'm proud of you all for and that a lot of people struggle with is you've been able to build this empire together. From day one, you had the mindset, you had the vision, and you worked in harmony rather than trying to balance out and fit in which works and what doesn't. I got in a question a lot of times where people ask, like, Casanova, it's so great that you and your wife are on the same page, but my wife and I are not on the same page. How do you recommend that people can become on the same page? Like, is it... Does, does one party have to really start putting in the traction first? Or is it like, we're not even going to do it if we can't agree to it up front? What does that look like? Well, I think that on the same page looks different for each couple, right? On the same page doesn't mean that you're sitting next to each other, right? This is probably our seventh or eighth, his and her money, is probably our seventh or eighth business. And it's the first time hmm. anybody has saw me, 
right? She had an online presence before this. She had an online business before this. And I was in the background. I was playing a part, but it wasn't a front person part. And that was born out of conversation. Mm -hmm. So if you have a dream or if your spouse has a dream, one, honor it. You know what I mean? Start there with honor and respect. Don't shut it down. Don't poo-poo it. Don't tell them why it's a bad idea. Don't talk about the, the obstacles that are before them, but honor the dream. That's where it starts. And then let, let's have a deeper conversation about where do both of us fit inside of this dream? How can we both play a part? For some, it might not be a complete involvement in mm -hmm. said business idea. Maybe you're the stabilizing force of the household. So you're agreeing like, yo, I'm going to hold it down in my nine to five while you build this thing at night. Or I'll help a little bit more with the kids when I get home from work so that you can go into the office and create this and create that. And so it, it starts, I believe, out mm -hmm. of a conversation, a real transparent, because at the end of the day, you should both want this dream. Even if it's not your dream, even if it's your spouse's dream, you should want the dream because of your love for that person, that person that you said that you were committed to. Like, I don't understand how spouse A can not want spouse B to succeed. Mm -hmm. It starts right. there. Honor the dream. I, I agree. So I, I think from there, you have a detailed conversation about roles and responsibilities. If you both, if, if this is something that you both are involved in, like for us, this is something we're both involved in. But in the past, it, I, I wasn't involved in, in these other things at all, in the background a little bit. And so it, it becomes an identification of that. Is this a two-party thing or is this a support thing? Um, if it is a support thing, what's the best way to support? And then you got to honor both sides. Okay, now listen, if I'm going to hold it down, we got to, you know, six months, 12 months, we got to reevaluate to see if it's working. Because over time, if you don't continue to have the conversations, if you don't have, continue to have the updates, it can breed room for resentment. Right. Because you're you're creating a narrative about what's happening or what's not happening, what's right. working, what's not working. And yeah. if you all aren't coming together to discuss it, then that, mm -hmm. that leaves room for the enemy to come in and really mess things up. So it starts with honoring up front, identifying roles and updating each other along the way. Now, let me say this, too. There are there are times where couples, maybe the one spouse is a habitual dreamer. What do I mean by that? Yeah. Everything that comes out new and flashy and shiny is like, oh, I want to do this. Now Chasing I want to do that. Now I want to do this. Now I want to do that. Now you have to give sheer focus and discipline and one thing and try to build that thing up. So we can't always down the other spouse. Maybe there's a spouse that, I don't know, maybe they're not in agreement with it. But why are they not in agreement with it? Is it because every year you got something new and nothing is really stuck? Is it that it's taking money from other goals and other dreams and constantly just hitting pause on everything else and say, oh, okay, now this is new. Now that's new. So you kind of have to ask yourself, where do you fall in in this scenario, right? Are you literally trying to legit build something? Or are you just chasing the next big thing? The next big thing? Yeah, you got to be careful to have a, a graveyard of failed businesses in your backyard, have done mm -hmm. business in your backyard. Well, and then you bring business idea number me. 11 to your spouse. And they say, listen, I don't know. I, you be like, yeah. Oh, you don't right. support me. Right. You don't believe in me. Like, no, I'll you got you, you got all these. All the, look at our basement. It's full of products that you didn't sell right. from the last 17 businesses. So it's got to be a balance. And I will say there are times where you got to keep trying things until that one sure. thing sticks. But again, you have to also look at were you being diligent? Were you a good steward? Were you displaying excellence in everything that you put your hand to? Or were you yeah. being you know, soulful? 
I love it. I mean, you guys are speaking so much truth. I think communication is everything and reevaluating. A lot of the times we get off to the races and we think that life is so great. But if both spouses are not reevaluating and communicating along the way, then just like you said, you could have that resentment to where one is like, especially if there's one that's in the fit in the in the front end the spotlight and the other one's holding the house down, then all of a sudden, you know, ego plays into it and and a lot of other things. And then it's kind of just like, oh, you're jealous of me where it's like, no, you know, we got to understand that this was a team effort from the beginning. I did this not because I was jealous because I wanted us to win together and build this empire. And then you let the ego kind of take off and that's where it just goes down. I heard you say something, though, that was very interesting. If we look at the first two businesses, right, what would you say was the reason that those businesses did not take off? Would you say that it was a lack of clarity? Was it a lack of resources? Mm -mm. I would probably say the season. Seasons matter. So on one particular season, we were having children. Our children were extremely young. Your father had got sick. So there were different external things that necessarily was not in our control per se. And so one particular business, I was in it with my sister. She was going through the same season. She was building her family. She had gotten married. She had children. So it made it very difficult um, for us to come together, for us to meet, for us to do the content. I remember we were given, I gave birth, one of the kids in the hospital. I'm sitting there with the laptop after giving birth you know, like typing away. I'm like, this something about this is just dysfunctional, right? It just doesn't right. make sense. And so I would probably say the season for me would be the reason why maybe those things did not work. They very well could have still worked, but I think you have to know when's the time to say it's time to close this door and start another one. Yeah, I think we learned something from each situation. So another situation we had, uh, we were trying to get into a business with multiple family members. And because of the relationship, the familial relationship, yeah. you know, we were, we were still, even though we were grown people, we were kids. And so when we were sitting here having a business conversation, it was as if our opinion wasn't valued at the same level. You get what I'm saying? Because yeah. of the family dynamic there. Right. And so we learned, yeah. you know, a, a you know, cautionary tale about, you know, whether it can be a good idea to work with family members or not. We tried um, to start an investment real estate business, but 2008. Enough said, right? Right. So things sometimes are in your control. Sometimes things are yeah. not in your control. And so I think we took lessons from from everything that we've attempted. Absolutely. And we apply it to, or we make sure that we didn't make those same mistakes when we built what we have now. I love it. I love it. And the reason why I ask that is because for a lot of people right now, they're on that third, maybe even fourth. And now they're they're starting to lose hope. Right. They have this dream. They've tried it. They do got those buried treasures of things that they felt that it was the right season. But yet you have continued to make it work. You can you found that one. And so for somebody else that's listening right now, they're thinking, like, is this my next one or is my spouse really going to say, listen, you got all of these other buried treasures. And you said it was, you know, you you really understood that it was time to hang it up. Mm-hmm. How does someone know when to pivot, but when to keep going? Yeah. So for us, in each situation, it was a calculated risk, right? Mm-hmm. It was never in, in all of these circumstances, even the things that didn't work out, we never put our livelihood in right. jeopardy. We took yeah. a measured amount of money and we had a measured amount of time to go after it. And we were 
definitely conversating about it week to week, month to month, trying to figure out, is this working? Is it not? So I think that it took a lot of just honesty and transparency and objectivity. Mm -hmm. Like we were able to see, you know, obviously you don't give up on the first obstacle, but you keep trying and you mm -hmm. keep pushing. But at some point you, you feel the need, you, you should feel the need to shift or to pivot or to stop completely. And so I don't think it happened like with one conversation or we woke up one morning, like, I think it's over. It was a series of things that we felt were headed in the wrong direction. And ultimately, the best option at this point is to stop or is to pivot. It took a lot of, I think, conversations mm -hmm. yeah. in, in each situation. And I don't think that um, in any of those situations, we pretty much came to the conclusion uh, simultaneously, it, it, you know, probably not completely instantly, but we were feeling, you know, some of the same things in, in each of these scenarios, like, you know what, this isn't working because of X or this isn't working because of Z. And it was okay, again, because we didn't put our lives in jeopardy. We yeah. talked about how we wanted to approach this. We gave ourselves time and space to make it work. Uh, we worked hard. We worked diligently. So we didn't walk away from any of these situations like feeling like we didn't give it our all. You get what yeah. I'm saying? And right. also money should not be the depicting factor on whether or not you should stay or not. So for an example, some of the things that we actually closed the door on, we were making money. We were making good money. Um, but you have to ask yourself, is it profitable at this time in your life? Right. So again, you have to look at the season that you're in. Is it beneficial for the family? Is it taking a lot of time away from doing X, Y, Z? So you have to kind of look at and ask yourself multiple questions, right? Don't just look at the money and say, man, well, I am bringing in more money than I am spending in expenses every month. So this means it's good. It means that I must stick with it. Has your passion left? Has your drive left? Does the business require your physical hands, right? Right now we're living in a society where you can outsource a lot of things, but there are some businesses where you can't outsource. You have to literally legit do it yourself. So you have to ask all these different questions um, again, our household is different from the next household and what's good for us right now may not be good for you. Mm, I love it. Now, one thing that this is a question for me, but I've had conversations with friends about this as well is when people first get married, there's always the question of, do you put your finances together? Mm -hmm. Now, of course, in this situation, when you guys have built a business together, it's understandable of how you can, or at least separating just business from personal. But do you think that it's important that each spouse has their separate finances or are you someone that says, no, what we make is ours together? So it's a it's a semantics question. <laughs> so the principle for us is that everything that we have is combined. It was combined from June 3rd, 2006, the day we got married to present day. With that said, within our combined plan, we have his and her money. I have an account that's quote unquote my account. <laughs> she has an account that's quote unquote her account, but we both have our names on every we account have to that it. we yeah. have. We have access to- There's nothing to, that I have that he can't But have. we built some independence within to our family plan. So I get to, you know, get my, my, my spend, you know, spender out, you know, on things that I like without having to answer, why did you get that? Why did you get that? And it's a right. dollar amount both agreed to. So we created the plan together, but there's a little bit that I get to myself. There's a little bit that she gets to herself, but 98.9% is all, it's all ours. Anyway. It's all one pot. Like from the principle, the principle of the matter is all of our money is combined, but Got we it. get how some people 
like to like that's why I said it's semantics because like nah, I need a little spending money. Well, you can build that within to a, a combined plan. Um, and so for us, it's we are on one accord, mm -hmm. same page. We're in this together. We're gonna ride together. We're gonna win together. We might take some L's together, but we're gonna do all of this together. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Was there a, a book or was there a another podcast or anything that helped to accelerate your growth over these last? 13 years? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I would say for people trying to, I'm, I'm big on blueprints. I think that you do much better following, I believe Tony Robbins said that if you want to be successful, find somebody who's uh, been successful at what you're trying to be successful at and do what they did. So I love blueprints. So Ramit Sethi in his book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich, oh, yes. has yeah. a fantastic blueprint. If you're yeah. trying to get your personal finances in order in a systematic way, I would highly, highly suggest um, you check that out. Philosophy-wise, I mean, mm -hmm. it's one that people say on your show all the time, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You won't find strategy there, but you will find several paradigm shifts to the way that you view how the world system is set up yeah. from the different categories, which you'll, you'll read about the, the, the business owner the, for investing. The one book, the only book I'll tell you for stock market investing is The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. Phenomenal. Wow. It's, it's, it's our whole stock market strategy is based on his, it was based on his teachings before he wrote a book, but then he put it all in a book. So go get The Simple yeah. Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. So those three books from a personal finance standpoint, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I will teach you to be rich and the simple path to wealth. That's a great point that you brought up. And, and I wanted to address that. You talked about the stock market. And right now for current events, a lot of people are looking or thinking about double dutch in the stock market, right? They, they, they're jumping in and out. What are your thoughts? Do you think that people should still, because it looks like a lot of people, they might've missed the boat. And I did do a little bit of investing, but you never really know. And, and when you see your money go up, you always feel like you should have put more money in. Mm -hmm. Right. And some people are still saying that the stock market's still only about 75 to 80 percent. So you mm -hmm. still, you know, should be investing. Do you think that people right now should be still buying stocks or do you think that, you know, like what are your thoughts on it? Is the yeah, stock so, market in particular? So what you learn through um, reading that book is a style of investing mm -hmm. or a vehicle of investing, I should say called index funds. And so we don't personally pick individual stocks mm -hmm. because you can't, for one, you can't time the market. Right. So those who are waiting for the perfect time, you're watching all these TV shows and reading all these magazines telling you whether we're at the bottom or not, they don't know. We don't know. Nobody knows if we're at the bottom or not. The, the philosophy is not to buy at the bottom and sell at the top. It's to buy low and mm -hmm. sell high. And the mm -hmm. market is low right now. We don't know if it's the lowest, mm -hmm. but we know it's low. And so it's a great time to push your chips into index. It's what we teach our, our students at our, in our mentorship program, Power Couples University. We teach them that if you put your money in now, you, and you should be investing for the long term. We're not trying to, and no shade to anybody that, that trades and does options and all that. Those are all viable Ways to make money in the stock market just takes a lot more direct effort and impact, and you have to have your eyes on what's going on a lot more frequently. And so we are big proponents of index funds, and index funds is you not trying to beat the market. It's just you matching the market. So whatever the market is doing, that's what your money is doing. Warren Buffett himself, his advice was that he, he said out of his own mouth that most people can't 
invest like, like he, he does. And he would suggest that most people invest in index funds. When he passes away, the money, uh, most of it's going to, to charity, but the money that he's leaving to his wife is going into index funds. And so if the number one investor of all time is telling you that you should invest in index funds, and I'm prone to believe yeah. that maybe investing in index funds is the best idea. And when you invest in index funds, it doesn't matter what's going on in the market because you're not trying to beat it. He did a he did a a challenge where he took on some of the top mutual fund investors in, in the world, and he put a certain amount of money in index funds, and they got to compete against his index fund, and they lost. Yeah, I think they it was over a ten year lost. period, right? Yes, yeah, and yeah they, they couldn't lost. beat it. Yeah, these are people looking at the market every day, all day, moving and shaking, and they lost the index funds. Yeah, it's, it's so much information, you know, to try to keep hold of. So I, I definitely respect that. But I know a lot of people right now is being glorified by doing stock options and things like that. And so you want to be like, oh, man, and you're thinking, listen, I already use Apple, so I should go buy Apple. But Apple's super expensive right now if you're not going to buy more than if you're trying to buy more than 10 shares. Right. And so people are like, well, what can I do? So your recommendation would be to really look at index funds mm -hmm. and, and to read that book as a way that you could at least start getting your feet wet and start to build long term wealth over time. Yeah, we would yeah. say that that's the, that's where your foundation, your stock market foundation should be built. And we know people that, again, like the, the, the thrill of index, I mean, of individual stocks or the thrill of options. But I would never make that the core right. of my strategy. That can be icing on the cake, but it should not be the cake. I love it. I love it. This has been a phenomenal episode. You two did not disappoint at all. And I love that we got the opportunity to pick your brain and, and share some of your wisdom. For anybody out there that's super inspired and they love your journey, especially if they're a couple and they, they want to aspire to be on the same path that you and Ty have, but they have this little voice in their head and that voice says that maybe they're not strong enough, they're not smart enough, or maybe they just don't have enough resources. What's the one thing that you both would tell them to get them to just take action? Yeah, I, I would say that whether you believe, just like Henry Ford said, whether you believe you can or whether you believe you can't, you're right. You're right. Yeah. So change your belief system. We all have obstacles. We didn't we didn't come from silver spoons. We, mm -hmm. in fact, the the data, the statistics out there say that we shouldn't be anywhere near where we are in life. You know, mm -hmm. we were both born to single mothers on the south side of Chicago mm -hmm. in the middle of the crack era, in the middle of the war on drugs, and so our story from a data statistical standpoint should be completely different. But we chose to believe differently. We have, and we're not at the place where we're even comfortable. Like we have dreams bigger than this, way bigger than this, right? Dream Nation, this is all about dreams. And so right, we have big, super-sized dreams that we are still pursuing. And even though it doesn't, all the resources aren't in place, all the team, all the strategy isn't in place to achieve these big dreams, we believe in a big God and we believe that if we honor him mm -hmm. in all that we do, he's going to help us walk towards that destination. And so it starts with a belief system. Don't listen to even if family tells you you're not qualified, the world tells you you're not qualified. You have the power to create things that your parents, your grandparents, your ancestors never had the opportunity to. Mm -hmm. And so you have to take control first of your thoughts and let yourself know that, man, God is more than able. And if God is more mm -hmm. than able, if I serve him and I align my life with him, he can help me to do 
anything. Yeah. And I would say perfection is a destiny killer. A lot of times people are giving excuses on why they can't start and why they can't start now. And if you continue to fill your mind with those excuses, you will not, you will still be in the same place that you are next year. Basically when the pandemic happened, we did an entire like three week um, stay home. We called it stay home university uh, where we were giving away free classes, right? Pack. People were in there. They were learning as much as possible. But the truth of the matter is, once all the glitz and glam is gone, once all the lights are turned off, what are you going to do with all the information that you have now acquired? So like your podcast, Dream Nation is a, is an, a phenomenal resource. People are gaining this information. It's now time to put feet to your dreams. And so yeah. don't allow perfection to keep you there. If you all could see our old website when we started almost six years ago, it was, now I can say it was ugly, but then you couldn't have told me anything. It was the best that we could give at that time, right? right? Our logo, everything has now changed since that since that day. So don't spend so much time wasting um, time on the very minuscule, the very minimal things, right? That really doesn't mean anything because you're probably going to change it anyway, five years from now, just start. I love it, right? Start where you are with what you have right yes. now. Love it. But hey, again, thank you. Remember Dream Nation and the dream we trust. But as they both just said, talent and tie, you must take action. Otherwise, it will only merely be a fantasy. So hopefully you all got some great information out of this, as I know I have. And I appreciate both of you coming on, sharing your wisdom and giving us your time. We're completely honored. We can't wait to have you back on the next one. And we hope you both stay blessed and keep going after those major dreams. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's been a blast. You bet. That's all we got for this episode. Thank you for sticking around. That truly means a lot to me. And hopefully that means that we delivered massive value on this one. If you haven't already, the way that you could say thank you to myself and the team is just by heading over to iTunes and leaving a review and a rating. That's what iTunes loves to see. That's how we get out there even more. And I would definitely, definitely be grateful for it. I know the team would as well. Do me a favor and head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com. That's where you're going to be able to find all of the resources that we talked about in today's episode, as well as more exclusive content. And you'll also be able to sign up to our email list where we have more exclusive content. And we always love to hear the feedback from you all because you're our tribe. So remember, in the dream we trust, we'll see you on the flip side. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.